Cannonanian. If the tires are that badly worn and you are the tires are that bald, you can't ride five months on bald tires. You're, you're taking your life in your hands, you're taking your family's life in your hands, and you're endangering the people around you. The car doctor. It only takes a second for an accident to happen. In the blink of an eye, you're not where you're supposed to be. So, you know, don't fool around with tires, please. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls. At 855-560-9900. And now, where is my super suit? Here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ronnie Nini and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Welcome aboard and uh, thanks for being around with us today as we kick off this hour of the Car Doctor. Another hour to come shortly thereafter if you're uh, inclined to stick around for two hours. And uh, pick up the show. Cardoctorshow.com is where there's more information and, of course, podcasting and live streaming and all that sort of good stuff there. Um, before I start my, my diatribe, uh, somebody is missing on the other side of the glass, Mr. Ray. Um, we're one light today. Mr. Uh, Mr. Tony couldn't make it. Um, train problem again? Yes, the lovely people in uh, New York City Transit are uh, working on the uh, A-Line, and um, they don't tell you ahead of time what to expect. So when you get there and show up, um, they expect to have to be someplace. You can't get there from here. You know, it kind of makes you wonder, right? So we're, we're talking about, you know, mass transportation, the wave of the future, self-driving cars, and, and you know, the government being more involved. And, you know, they can't get the trains right in New York City that have been around for, what, hundred and. 20 years? When did subways first start? Mm, I think about 110 years ago. 110 years yeah. ago. So we can't get a mass transportation system after 110 years to work right. And now we're going to go to some sort of government organized, you know. Oh, it, it, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I mean, I was down in the city this week, and it was like, you stand there, and you stand there, and you stand there. Yet they want to raise the rates again, so let's go ahead. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's just typical waste. You know what? And it brings me to the opening thought that I guess we really should enjoy driving our cars. They they really are. And we take it so much for granted. We just don't appreciate. Well, I guess some of us do. But, I, you know, just to get out there. And um, I was reading an article this week that talked about the beginnings of Route 66 and how it, you know, stretched and went across the country. And I think the starting point, I think, where does Route 66 start? It, started, it starts in the Midwest. It's, it's Chicago, did it say? Um, no, it actually was um, Kansas. Maybe it was from Kansas West. I don't remember the article. I, I'm, I'm embarrassed I, to say. I'm, I'm going to say Chicago sounds right. Yeah, it just, but it came, maybe it went down to, but it was just so interesting to see how one highway created such an economy and hotels sprung up and service stations and small towns and ways to get across the country were just so much easier across Route 66 that you just look at the romance of the automobile and now we're going to go to trains and self-driving cars and you know where's the fun in that i had to do a thermostat this week and no big deal right a uh, a 2010 dodge journey came into the shop 3.5 v6 and it was actually towed in it came in the night before with a uh, an overheat complaint it I found it on the lot friday uh, thursday morning and the, the note said the temperature gauge had been pinned to h and she had it towed in and where do you go pop the hood there was no coolant in the overflow tank. 
there was no radiator cap. This is one of those expansion tanks that are part and parcel of the radiator. So the bottle was empty. I popped off the upper radiator hose. There was no coolant there. Uh, I looked down as far as I could inside the radiator with a bore scope looking for coolant level. It was probably well under, oh, two-thirds was empty. And, you know, where do you begin? Well, you, I filled it up with water, and I pressure tested it, and there were no leaks. Okay. So we'll, we'll, we'll run the car. Let's, let's see what happens. There could be a couple of things that, that happen here. I, I did a code scan. There were multiple check engine codes, but nothing related to the overheat, nothing that told me, you know, cooling fan failure to come on or no command issues relating to the cooling fan, nothing like that. And ran the car. Ran the car to the point, monitored it, you know, using a scan tool, looking at temperature, keeping an eye on it, and it got to about 213 degrees. The fan was supposed to come on at 221 and it got a little hotter. It got to 224, 5, 6, 7, 8. Bingo! And the bottle started to bubble and overheat and spew coolant or water at this point. And I shut it down and, okay, let it cooled off and thought about it and said, well, where are we going to go? The upper radiator hose was cold. The lower radiator hose was hot. All right, traditional thermostat issue. Took the thermostat out, looked at it, didn't see anything, ordered up a motor red. Um, which, by the way, yeah, when you hear me talk about Motorrad, it's the real deal. It is it is OEM quality. Uh, put a Motorrad thermostat in this vehicle and started it up. Went through the bleed procedure, and um, well, actually, no, that's that's. Let me let me back up a second. Put a thermostat in it. Put the Motorrad thermostat in it. Filled it with water. Using a burp funnel, we ran it until it got warm. Got a couple of air bubbles coming out. And I noticed that now the temperature wasn't so quick to rise, all right? And that's one of the things I did with the scan tool. I was graphing the rate of rise. With the, with the original scan tool hooked up with the original coolant test, I saw the temperature rise very quickly over an eight-minute period, whereas with the thermostat in it, it went up very gradual, and it got up to temperature, and then, oh, you know, eh, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, it was longer, and it was still 185, and then, okay, good, we're on to something here. A lot of bubbles. Started to boil over a little bit, but the fan came on and stayed on. Upper radiator hose still didn't have a whole lot of temperature in it. Shut it down. Found the bleeder. The geniuses at Chrysler decided to put the bleeder for the cooling system under the throttle body, facing the back of the engine, facing the firewall. So it's it's almost you you need a you need a a, a four angled wrench to get to the bleeder. To open it, to, to burp it, to let air out. We got that open, and using the, the burp funnel, we filled it with you know more water until we pushed all the air out and ran the car, got it to the point that now the fan came on, stayed on, shut off, temperature stayed. Hey, the car's fixed. Broke it down again using the coolant exchanger, exchanged, put proper coolant in it, all right? Because why would you put coolant in it? If you're not sure what caused the overheat, you have to use water, in my opinion. And I've always said this. You know, it, the, the car took better than, oh, eight quarts of two gallons of Chrysler coolant. So we spent, you know, $30, $35, $40 on coolant. Why would you put coolant in it if you were going to find out that there was a leak in the rear heater system, if there was a water pump problem that had to be removed, if there was a, a hose that had failed that didn't show up yet? And, you know, and I should, I'm not sure if I mentioned it, but I should point out that we did do a, a pressure test along the way once we got water in it and there were no leaks. So we burped air again and, you know, how long could it take? And here's the point, all right? And this is what got me to think about this. 
it used to be a thermostat was right on top of the engine, right? Two, two, you know, nine sixteenths bolts, two five sixteenths bolts, um, you know, or two thirteen millimeters. I don't want to date myself totally here, but it sure used to be a lot easier to put a thermostat in a vehicle. And you would just sit there and, you know, change it, swap it out, bleed the air, and you were done. But when you have to do a thermostat as part of a diagnosis, you know, when the car breaks down, and this was the original stat in the car we later went on to find out, when, when you know, you have to replace it as part of a diagnosis, it chews up time. I mean, it's easy to sit there and say, oh, Ron, you should have put a thermostat in it right away. Yeah. What if the cooling fan was bad? What if the fan relay was bad? What if the PCM that commands the fan and the fan relay on wasn't properly? Was it, what if it wasn't working? It's always easy to armchair quarterback. The point becomes you've got to look at the potential for diagnosis. And even something as simple as a thermostat still requires diagnosis. And that's the point of this opening conversation as we kick this hour of the car doctor off, that it still takes time to figure out what went wrong. Remember, new doesn't mean good. And, you know, we could have put a new thermostat in it and still had a problem because maybe the new thermostat had an issue. And I'm not saying it happens often, but every new part is suspect. And the point becomes that diagnosis helps tell you if you're going in the right direction or not. You know, we I knew that there was no circulation. The bottom hose was hot. The upper hose was stone cold. I knew I had a circulation problem. The question was, was it circulation as a result of a stat? Was it circulation as a result of a water pump or something else? So just keep that in mind. And also keep in mind, you know what? If your thermostat is more than three, four years old, it's probably not the worst idea to start thinking about doing some maintenance as we head into summer and you know, replace it. As I said to Noelia when she picked up her car, you know, did I hurt anything? I said, well, basically you took the, you know, eight-year-old, 100,000-mile Dodge journey, and, you know, it was like making the little old man run the three-minute mile. He survived, but you didn't do his heart rate a whole lot of good, and, you know, you kind of stressed it out to the point. So if you could avoid it in the future, it would be a much better thing for the life of the car. Something for you to think about as well. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. We're coming back right after this. Don't go away. And the car goes. And the car goes. Gonna travel near and far. Going riding in a car. Ron, it's time to get back to do the show. I don't want to. The song's not over yet. Ron and Indian, right now. Okay. Well, this car is automatic. It's systematic. It's hydromatic. Why, it's greased lightning. Hey, welcome back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. We had a lot going on in the shop this week. It was um, uh, just real quick. We had, and it's, it's funny, right? You don't, tire sales are off. I don't know about everybody else, but our tire sales are down. And I don't, I don't take it personal. We just... People aren't going through tires like they once did for whatever reason. All my tire guys are coming in telling me the same thing. As a matter of fact, we've got four or five new vendors trying to get our tire business. And I looked at them all. I had I had a, a tire guy in every day this week. And I looked at them and I said, boy, the tire business must They said, yeah, you have no idea how bad the tire business is right now, which I thought was interesting. Something about, I think, Bridgestone and Goodyear are merging. There's a couple of big mergers going on out there, and they're going to get together and start selling tires direct to the end user, which is good for you, the consumer. But it's, it's really throwing the small mom-and-pop tire shop and the, the bigger tire shops out of whack in terms of you know being able to 
to survive and, 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 and get it done. So um, just an observation of how crazy things are getting in the auto repair business. Let's go over and talk to Terry in Tennessee, 07 Saturn, and some acceleration issues. Terry, welcome to the car, Doctor. How can I help? Terry. A few months ago, about I had a 93 Ford Tempo. I don't know if you remember it, but a power steering leak. Yeah, I remember that car. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It was the main seal was shot. Yeah. Putting you pump on it, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, my daughter has a 2007 Saturn Ion. Okay, she's had a couple problems with the car. She's had it a little over a year, maybe, and uh, it was under a warranty for the shifter. There were times where the shifter, uh, you put it in park, and it wouldn't release the key. And uh, they, the GM dealership, ended up replacing that. So we got that squared away. It don't do that anymore. But in the last month and a half, uh, it started with a problem that uh, it'll be running along fine, and then all of a sudden it'll drop down, and you can put your foot through the floorboard, and it'll have a top speed of 20 miles an hour. Okay. Any 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 dashboard warning lights coming on, Terry? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. there is. The check engine light is on now, uh, and I I've got a generic OBT OBD two uh, code okay. reader. Sure. And I read the code, and it it was twenty one twenty six or twenty one forty six. I can't remember, but it was something about low voltage to the throttle position sensor. Okay. Uh, and uh, but uh, anyway, we she took it to the dealership, and they said that they found they did a full diagnostic scan, and they said they found some wiring in the kick panel that was corroded. The connector was, and they cleaned it, fixed it, put greased it, and put it back together, and gave it back to her and said it was fixed. All right. Uh, well, about a week later, it did the same thing. And she took it back to the dealership, and they kept it for a week. And they said that uh, they did, they could pull some codes on it, but they couldn't pin it down. Was their exact words, and they couldn't get the problem to uh, duplicate to itself, come about again. Yeah, yeah. So where does it stand now? It's she's driving the car, but it's a time bomb waiting to be a problem. Right, right. She, she's. She's only driving it back and forth to work, which is only like three-quarters of a mile uh, to work and back home. But I told her not to take any Long you know, trips. longer trips. Yeah. Or anything, you know. um, was, it, was it possible the fault code was a 2126 or a 2127, something like that? I think it was a 2126. Yeah. It was something about low voltage uh, yeah. opposition yeah. sensor. Yeah. And yeah. I, I did some research of my own and found out that there's actually one at the accelerator pedal yep. and inside the engine compartment, too. Yep. You got it. Um, twenty-one twenty-six, and let's 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 back up a minute. This car is drive-by-wire. Back a million years ago, when we both started driving, you know, cars were they had throttle cables. You had a direct mechanical connection between the pedal on the floor and whether it be a carburetor or the fuel injection or the throttle body, whatever it was out under the hood. It had a direct mechanical connection to the engine. Well, you know, early 2002, 2003, depending upon the car, and by 2005 across the board, GM went to drive-by-wire. It's similar to systems used in airplanes, which is kind of scary when you think about it. There's no, there's no mechanical connection. Everything's done by wiring and servos and relays. 
Right. And if it, 2126 says that it's basically what they're in. Let's talk about the fail safe. So there's two sensors at the at the pedal and there's two sensors at the throttle body. OK, mm-hmm. one, you know, each set of sensors work opposite of each other. So one sensor reads five volts to zero. The other one reads zero to five volts. So the computer knows, for example, if you were pressing your foot halfway down, both sensors would be at two and a half volts. OK. Okay. If you went a quarter of the way down, one sensor would read a quarter of five volts, and the other sensor would read a quarter off of five volts. If you understand what I'm saying, their 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 differences are from the top or the bottom, but they would be proportionally the same. It works the same at the other end, at the at at the throttle body itself. Low voltage means that it didn't see proper return signal from one of the sensors, and I believe it is at the throttle body end. Now, it, it can be related to the junction box under the hood. There is, you know, where it comes through the bulkhead connector. I think that's what they're referring to when they tell you they found water and corrosion in there. But the problem is it's, 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 such, a, it's such a sensitive harness um, in terms of it's got to be so dead on the money in terms of low resistance, clean connection, tight fit, the least little vibration can set it off. We had a two thousand we had a two thousand five suburban going back. Two thousand three, I'm sorry, two thousand three suburban fifteen hundred. This is a better part of eight years ago. And I think I talked about it here on air at the time, that would would go into this limp in mode where it wouldn't accelerate, it wouldn't get out of its own way. It had been to the dealer. It had been to a couple of other shops. Everybody had changed throttle bodies and pedal position sensors and the whole nine yards and got nowhere. We set up a test point on the wiring harness going into the accelerator pedal sensor. I'm sorry, into the throttle body sensor at the throttle body. And when the problem happened, we captured voltage going in but nothing coming out. Now, we knew the, we knew the throttle body had been changed, which when you change the throttle body, you change the sensors as well. So we knew at that point that we, we, we had to deal with it in the sense that we had a bad wiring harness. We went down to the dealer. We got all the pins. We got the harness. We made a harness, repaired the car. I think where the dealer's got to go, he's got to consider we've got a loose connection somewhere in the accelerator pedal circuit or the throttle body circuit, and they're going to have to look at, see if GM has any pin repair kits, connector repair kits for that portion of the vehicle, and that's what it's going to take to fix it. Go talk to them and get back to me. I'm Ron Anani and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Ron's number handy, 855-560-9900, for when you really need advice on your car. Here's Ron. Hey, let's get over and talk to Bill in Maui. Bill, uh, did you get permission from Walt to call in? You know, Walt's our, <laughs> Walt's our big Maui listener, and, uh, you know, he's going to be mad at you. He's going to be fighting you for the T-shirt. I, I haven't contacted him. All I'm right. sorry, Ron. you, you got to get permission. You know, this is Walt's territory, and, uh, <laughs> you know, if we... Uh, by the way, how, how are things out there in Hawaii? Are you near the volcanoes? I am not. I'm on another island. Okay. So, uh, we're over 100 miles away from that. So wow. Thank God. Okay. Yeah. Thank God. That's yeah. um. We 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 you know we send our our hopes to those that are um, out there dealing with oh, all yeah. that. Oh no, yeah. So. It's a bad situation. Bad there. situation. Um. So what can I do for you today, sir? Uh, I've got a 2007 Toyota Rav4. It's a six-cylinder, uh, four-wheel drive. Okay. 
and I've owned it from the beginning. I bought it brand new, and I'd like to keep it. I know 115,000. You'll say it's barely broken in. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I, I was curious about uh, transmission flush. Uh, I've heard of transmission flush or transmission drain and fill, or not doing anything. Uh, some people say. Don't touch it if it's uh, not giving you a problem. And I'd like your opinion on that, Ron. I like to do trans-fluid drain and fills if I do it often enough and I have the opportunity where I can actually get an exchange machine in, doing a dipstick exchange, I will do it that way. Uh, we don't do a lot of cooler line exchanges, meaning hooking the machine up and exchanging it through the cooler lines because there are too many adapters out there for an independent shop to really do it. If, if for example, I was going to do Ford Escapes on a consistent basis, I'd probably buy the adapters. So I have no problem doing an exchange, provided I'm doing an exchange on cleaner fluid in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a unit that's been maintained, if you understand what I'm saying. To, to, to do, the, to do a, an exchange, whether it's dipstick or cooler line, on a unit that's got 115,000 miles and, you know, the first time in, you're going to do an exchange, you know, it's, it's, it, it can be a shock. It's kind of like, you know, jumping into the, into the ocean in the middle of February, standing off the pier at Asbury Park. Um, notice I didn't say Maui, because in Maui it would probably be yes. okay. Yeah, I was, I was okay. careful how I said that. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a shock to the system. So is, is this original transfluid at 115? Yes, it is. All yeah. right. So I would take a look at it, how clean, how dirty is it. Um, I'm of the mind that, you know, if I'm going to have the failure, I'm going to have the failure. All right. You know, it's it's I just want to be prepared for it. So if I have the option to change the fluid and do it a little at a time, so I'll do a drain and fill. A drain and fill will be somewhere between four and six quarts on that particular vehicle. Make sure you use the right fluid. In 2007, that's probably WS, Toyota WS. If you look on the dipstick, it'll tell you uh, somewhere okay. it'll say type four or, or, or WS uh, World Service. Um, and I would change it. And, you know, maybe in 10,000 miles, I'd change it again. And then maybe in another 10,000, I'd change it again. And after two or three times of doing that, you'll probably end up with some pretty clean fluid. And it's gradual. Here's where, here's, here's where and why and how transfluid changes hurt transmissions. You get an older system that, or an older, an older vehicle that, you know, transfluid leaves, leaves, well, transmission operation will create varnish and, and particulate inside the trans. Transmission fluid, by nature, is one of the strongest, for lack of a better way to say it, it's a detergent-type fluid, all right? It can, it can really scrub. Back in the old days, a million years ago, when dirt was invented and I was a kid, when we would, when we would rebuild engines in the, in, in the gas station, we would, you know, we would pull pistons and we would hone blocks using dingleberry hones, and I'm really dating myself, and everybody, some of the older guys are going, Arr! and we, you know, we would we, we'd put rings, but we'd wash the cylinder walls, we would take a rag, dip it in some trans fluid, scrub the wall. The, the rag would come out black, and then we would wash the block with soap and water and put the engine together, and it would run another 30,000 miles before you did it again or whatever it was. Um, trans fluid is a very high detergent fluid. So it tends to scrub away at the varnish and the crud that builds up on the inside of the, of the transmission. And transmissions work on, you know, tiny passageways. There's little orifices and check valves and, and gates and you know you start knocking all this debris off the walls of the trans and if the filter doesn't catch it something else will and that's when you end up with a trans problem so you know you do it gradually alright you do it gradually and you be prepared for the failure here's and here's why 
all right? Do you want to drive this car for the next seven years wondering if the trans is going to fail? Or do you, want to put, no. do you want to put clean fluid in it? And if you put clean fluid in it, and over the course of the next year, you've rotated out the old and put it in fresh, and you put clean fluid in it, then at least the odds are in your favor. All right? Look, it's, 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 it's what, 11 years old now? Anything, yeah. anything could go bad, right? That's what I'm thinking. You know? You, you, you know, but maintenance helps put the edge in your corner, and that's the point. That's what maintenance is about. And, and you, so you're recommending, like, a, a draining it. Yeah, and, I'm recommending and, a draining and it and doing it gradually, all right? Oh. But, but I'm also going to tell you you should look at the rest of the car. You know, if, if, is everything original? Just about, yeah. V, V6, do you ever do I mean, t- I've changed, changed the water pump, uh, of course, the brakes. Uh, I think the struts were changed. Uh, you, you've done a timing belt? No. And I, I've read different things about timing belt, leave it alone, and uh, it talks about timing chain guides rather than uh, changing uh, Well, this is, a, this, this is a V6, right? It, a V6, yeah. So when you changed the timing belt, I'm sorry, the water pump, you left the old timing belt in? I don't know. I, I don't know if they did or they did not because I didn't. I, I don't recall. How big uh, was how big was the repair bill? Was it seven eight hundred dollars? Yeah. Um, can you go find the bill? I don't have access to it at this moment. But, uh, you know, I would be surprised if they did the belt or if they did the pump without the belt. And then, how long ago did they do the pump? Was it more than six years ago? No. Uh, no. Okay, so four years ago. I will check on that. Yeah. yeah. Because, you know, timing belts also go bad by age. And, you know, right. rubber does deteriorate and rubber does fall apart. So, you know, you want to stop and consider that as well. And then, you know, the only other thing I could think of to be concerned about is, especially out, you know, in an environment as Hawaii where it's, you know, heavy salt concentration in the ocean, what does the front of the radiator look like? And the radiator is 11 years old. And, you know, is it time to put a radiator in this car? And you know, and and you know, is it time to put a radiator in this car while you can still get a decent brand? Not to not to you know, we're going to work on the car, but let's let's start thinking about it. Here's what I like about doing radiators early. I like putting a time limit on radiators because when do you change the radiator, Bill? When it uh, leaks, right? Yeah. So you know, it's it's. Do you think a radiator gets up one morning and go, okay, today's the day I go bed? <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. It's it's a corrosive problem. It starts to rot from the inside. It starts to build up, you know, deposits, calcium or whatever it is in the, in the water in whatever part of the country your car is in, and it's it starts to you know restrict flow. The engine runs a little hotter. The engine works a little harder. You know what? Put a time limit on it. My plow truck's got thirty two thousand miles on it. I've had it out in ten years of North Jersey snow and winter and ice and. You know, the front of the radiator looks terrible. It looks like a building from Iraq, for crying out loud, after the Marines went through it. Um, it's, time, it's, time to put a, it's time to put a radiator in it. It still works. It's working awful hard. When's it going to leak? I don't know. Uh, i got a radiator sitting in the shop. As a matter of fact, it's been sitting there for about seven months. I just haven't had time to do it, but I don't drive the truck a lot. Well, okay, um, so I'll check that also. Yeah. Just just something to think about. And you got to remember, radiators go bad from the inside out, sometimes not just from the outside in. So, But other than that, I would start thinking about those things and then just drive another 10 years and uh, call me. I'll probably still no, be I mean, on I the mean, air. I change the oil you know, yeah. on a regular basis, oil and filter all the time. So, I mean, I, I right. Yeah, and that's good, and that's good. But you know, think about think about cars as a whole, and think about systems as part of the car, and that's you know that's how you got to maintain it. You know, I'll Very tell you I'll time. tell you this real quick. A, a customer called yesterday, a new customer, and he 
he's getting his head gaskets done at the Subaru dealer. We were talking about it, and he said, you know, they're doing the head gaskets. They're doing a water pump. They're doing a timing belt. The car's got 115,000 miles. It's 10 years old. I said, are they doing a radiator? He said, no, why should they? I said, the car's got 115,000 miles on it. It's 10 years old. When are you going to do the radiator? When it goes bad in 30,000 miles, and you get to do this all over again? And, yeah, you know, it's like you start thinking about systems, man. Nothing there is young. Um, it's getting older okay. by the minute. All right? If you bump Thank in, you very much, Ron. You're very welcome. If you bump into Walter, tell him he missed his point. I'll see you, Bill. I'm Ron Annie in the car, Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Ron and Annie in the car, Doctor. We are back at 855-560-9900. Let's get over and talk to Ashley in Maine. Ashley, welcome to the car, Doctor. Hi, um, I have a 2000 Monte Carlo LS with a twilight zone of a problem. Okay. Um, I was put up on a short ramps by my neighbor about a week ago, and it was to, re to try to fix some redneck ingenuity of a, a muffler repair, but I was missing the muffler manifold. So there wasn't anything he was able to do. When I came off of the ramps, the small little short ramps, the car did bounce a little. Right. And four days later, five days later, when I went to go into town for um, my cancer treatment, we noticed that the left blinker, wasn't working when i got home and started messing with it i realized the left blinker front back and inside stops completely as soon as i hit the brake so start wait, huh say that again the, the, the left blinker only when i hit the brake it seems the Blinker just shuts off the front, back blinker, and inside. Oh, okay. Um, are both are both blinkers working normally until you hit the brake? Um, the right blinker doesn't seem to have the problem. It just seems to be the left blinker. But my automatic lights are also not working since this problem started. I have to turn them on manually and turn them off now. Okay, so but but if you just use if you just use the left blinker by itself, does the left blinker blink at the same rate as the right blinker? I think so. Well, it's that's an important that's an important question. All right. If 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 and you got to look at it. Are both are are all the blinkers are there any bulbs out in the car? And No. Okay. And then are all the bulbs working properly? Because what you're describing to me is a typical scenario where there's a wrong bulb, and in this case, somewhere on the left side of the car, left front or back, there's a wrong bulb backfeeding, creating and causing the circuit to see ground. And it's it's basically it's it's putting voltage and ground in the wrong place, and it's turning the the, the bulb off. All right. I did replace a few months ago a um. A brake bulb. Okay, and the system worked normal? Yes, until um, I was put up on the ramps and came off. That the first time I had any issues with the blinkers and... 
Let's let's back up a second, um, Ash. Um, you you said that it's missing an exhaust manifold. Yes. Is the car really loud? Yes. Okay. Um, how loud? Unbearable. It's got to be unbearable. Uh, just about. But as a cancer patient, I can't afford to fix it right, right. now. Yeah. No, I get you. Um, I'm wondering if part of the a part of the wiring harness, depending upon, it's it's probably not that the manifold is missing. It's probably cracked. Did somebody maybe say cracked? No, they said the manifold with two. Um, I forget the words for it, but the manifold has two pin things. Two exhaust studs. Yeah, and those are missing. The studs or the manifold. The manifold, the whole thing. There was a big gap in between, and the, all the guy was able to do was just pit, like hard, uh, using coat hanger wires to keep the exhaust up. I got a feeling what he's saying is the manifold has rotted away, and when he's saying it's missing, there's no way to attach the exhaust system to the manifold, and it's creating the noise. Um, unfortunately, it's kind of hard to see from my seat here, and my concern is, you know, do you have damage from the wiring harness as a result of the hit when it came off the ramps, and is the exhaust leak blowing hot exhaust gas onto other parts of the wiring harness, melting and causing damage? So I think what you've got to do is, you know, spend a half hour of somebody's time. Somebody's got to look at this to verify how safe the car is before you continue to drive it and create bigger problems. I wish you well, and I wish there was more I could do for you. Call me back if there's something else I can help you with. I'm Ron and Annie, the car doctor. We're back right after this. Hey, welcome back, Ron and Annie, the car doctor, real quick. And thanks to uh, Ed Goitis, Goitis Capital. I know Eddie's out there listening to us somewhere in the uh, hidden retreat of Pennsylvania. From the bunker, um, Eddie sent me an article about. We were making comments before about it was Goodyear and Fire, uh, Goodyear and Bridgestone. I'm sorry, Goodyear Bridgestone joined forces to form U.S. National Tire, faced with consolidation among tire dealers and distributors. Rivals Bridgestone and Goodyear plan to combine their wholesale tire distribution into a new firm that will operate 81 tire depots throughout the country. Nashville-based Bridgestone said the new venture named Tire Hub will help independent tire dealers continue to get tires made by the two manufacturers. Um, it's interesting, right? We're seeing consolidation in the way things are, are, are coming together. Tire Hub will be based in Atlanta. Bridgestone would put its current tire wholesale warehouse business in the new venture. Um, it then goes on, and he highlighted it for me. Thanks, Eddie. Tire sales and independent tire deals in the United States have dropped 5% in the last year to 137 million tires. Meanwhile, online sales are on pace to account for 12% of the tire market in five years. So... Is it going to change where and how you buy your tires from? And then here's the other thing you've got to consider. If the shop is taking your tires and putting them on the car, is it going to cost you more money because there's profit and tires for the shop putting them on? Things to think about and things we'll talk about in future episodes. And until then, I'm Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. Everyone.